Well, thank you very much. Well, I remember it was about this time of year, a few years ago, when much to my shock and my horror, my wife said to me, now, let me warn you, this is going to be hard for some of you to hear, but my wife said to me, why don't we get a fake Christmas tree? <gasps> That's right. I had to pick my jaw up off the floor, and I said, no, we're not doing that. That would be unchristian. That would be un-American. We get a real Christmas tree in this family. That's what we do. But I've been losing steam a little bit over the last few years. And this year, much to my surprise, I, I finally did it. Dragged the family over to Costco and got one of their artificial trees, which doesn't sound any better than a fake tree. But we got, we got a big one. We got a nine-footer. We got some tall ceilings in my house. And as I wedged that cardboard box of Christmas happiness into my car, and as we were driving home, I started to skeptically wonder to myself, well, how is this going to go? Patriot, what in the world did I just do? But as I got home and started setting it up, honestly, my opinion started to change a little bit. Brought out the stand, I went together perfectly. Got out the pieces of the tree. All the branches are on like these individual hinges now, and they just fall right into place. No messing with the branches. Lights already on the tree. Plug it in. Stick the piece in. Lights automatically go on. The whole setup, I kid you not, took more than like, no more than three minutes. No cleaning up needles afterwards. No vacuuming around. Trees perfectly straight. No wedging books under the stand to get it to sit up just right. Got to water the tree. Don't have to water the tree. Don't have to water the tree. Don't have to worry about it getting dry. Coming to fire hazard? And how about lights? And I got, I got the good set of lights. There's like 12 different settings, clear lights, colored lights, blinking, flashing, you name it. I thought, you know what, now I'm a believer. I like the tree. I do. In fact, I called my parents. They're in their 70s. They're, they're getting too old to go out to the Christmas tree lot and lug a tree home. I said, you got to get one of these things. I was against the fake tree. But once I really understood it, once I personally experienced it, not only did I become a believer, I became an advocate to others. That's how it should work for us as Christians. Once we understand Christ, once we personally experience him, it's only logical that we become an advocate of him to others, just like I was or I am with the tree. Christ is the light of the world. And every Christmas we get to celebrate the light. We get an opportunity at this unique time of year to tell others about him. And if we just take the time to think about this rightly, get a better understanding of Christ, of who he is, and of what he's called us to do, we'd be more of an advocate of him. And we'd be more effective at sharing his message this Christmas season. So with that, why don't you go ahead and turn with me to your passage tonight, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, we'll look at verse 13. And as we're going there, let's review the points from Pastor Mike's lesson this weekend as he taught from this very same passage. Three things he told us. First, he said we need to celebrate the most important person. That person, of course, is Christ. And we need to represent the most important message as we share the gospel with others. And we need to pray for the most important miracle that others may experience new life in Christ. Where, where I want to start this evening 
is where Pastor Mike started in point number one. If we want to celebrate the most important person this Christmas, we got to make sure we have a right understanding of him. Or as I put on your outline, point number one, we need to know Jesus. Got to know Jesus. Got to have a proper understanding of him. You got to think rightly about him. Because if you do that, you're going to be a lot more effective at living for him. Got to know Jesus. So let's see what John has to say about him. Let's pick it up in verse 1. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. Talking about Jesus here. And the Word was with God, had intimate fellowship with him. The Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. Already we see Christ. He's eternal. He's in fellowship with God. He is God. Verse 3, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Christ is the, the creator of the world. Anything you see made by Christ. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Christ is the light of men. And here we come to the analogy that's so appropriate this time of year. He is light. Light. God making his purpose is clear, visible to everyone. God doesn't leave us in the dark here. You want to know who God is, what he's like, what he desires from us? That's all found in Christ. It's visible in the Son. God reveals himself, his desires, his purposes in the Son. You want to know what, what God wants? You know what, what God is like? You look to Christ, the light of the world. I mean, how excited are you to learn about Jesus? The eternal God, the creator of the world, the light shining in the darkness. You're not going to serve God in a fallen world. You're not going to get excited about him unless you really get to know him, unless you really get excited about who he is. I thought about my older son. He's 11, and he, he really likes roller coasters. And so I told him one time, I said, hey, buddy, I'm going to take you to, to Magic Mountain. He says, Magic Mountain, what's that? I said, oh, roller coasters, that's great. You'll love it. When the day came, when the time came for us to go, earlier in that day that we had to go to a, a team party for his soccer team, but we had to leave early from that party. I said, buddy, it's time to go, Magic Mountain. And he doesn't want to go. I want to stay at the party. You see, he, he knew what Magic Mountain was, but he didn't really understand it. Because when we got up there, when my 44-year-old body went flying around in loops in ways I'm pretty sure it's not supposed to go, but when my son experienced this, I mean, when he really experienced this, when he really understood, oh, man, now we can't stop talking about it. You go find him afterwards. You ask about Magic Mountain, he'll talk your ear off. I mean, if we just took these first five verses to heart, if you really understood what Jesus was about, if you really experienced him, oh, you'd be so excited about him. You couldn't stop talking about him. As Christians, we need to be more excited about Jesus. And to do that, you've got to make the effort to get to know him better. That means every morning when you get up and you crack open the word, you're excited to dive into the Bible and learn about him. It means every morning you're excited to bend your knee and lift your heart up to him in prayer as you develop a relationship with him. Every day as you obey him, you learn to, to, to know him more and more, and you're excited about that. As we, as we get into this Christmas season, you need to make every effort to know him even better and keep your holiday focused on Christ, learning about him. First, you've got to just, at minimum, make sure you're here in church. I know, I know December's busy, the, the calendar gets filled up. You've got to make sure that you and your family are here in church. Church is meaning you should be here. I don't care if it's like last year, church on Sunday morning, Christmas morning, you should be here. Don't let the holidays get in the way of you learning about him. 
And make sure your family stays focused on Christ this season. Make sure you do things as a family that point back to Christ. So important for your kids. They're constantly reminded that this holiday is not about Santa. No, it's about Jesus laying the foundation for them so hopefully one day they can repent of their sins and put their trust in him. We do things, we do something might be familiar to some of you, called a uh, Jesse tree. We got this little uh, fake tree. I, I guess we've got two fake trees. We got this little one. We've had this one for a while. And uh, every night we read a Bible passage, talk about it, and then there's like this little felt ornament that you go and, you, and the kids hang on the Christmas tree, the ornament that ties back to the passage we just read every night, reinforcing the holiday, grounded in the Bible, grounded back in Christ. Whatever family traditions you have, make sure the focus is Jesus, not Santa saying you can't watch any Christmas movies, just watching Polar Express with the kids, but we take time to find ones that are focused on Christ. Even when they were little, I remember there was like a VeggieTales talking about St. Nicholas and the foundations of the holiday ultimately back to Christ. We've got Christmas decorations. You might find a, I don't know, reindeer here or there, but we got a manger. We got, we got things to remind us of the focus on Christ. And Christmas morning, parents, before you go diving into those gifts and the kids start ripping them off, ripping them open, make sure that you take the time to explain to him the amazing gift we have in Christ. And that is the reason why we're celebrating. You want to make sure that this Christmas season enhances your knowledge of Jesus. It doesn't take away from that. Because the more you know Jesus, the more you know who he is, the more you know what he's like, the more excited you're going to be about him. And the better you're going to be able to serve him in the tasks that he's given you. And there's one task above all that he's given you. We're going to find that back in our passage. Look back in John 1. We left off at verse 5. Why don't you go ahead and turn to verse number 6. John 1, 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. John the Gospel writer talking about John the Baptist. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He, John the Baptist, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, because the true light, Christ, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. We as Christians are called first and foremost to be witnesses for him, like John the Baptist, to bear witness to the light. That is our job. That is our task. Point number two on your outline, you need to know your task. Because the more you understand not only who Christ is, but what he's called you to do, the more effective you're going to be at serving him and doing it. Luke 7.28, the verse on the screen behind me, Luke 7.28, Jesus talking about John the Baptist says, I tell you, among those born of women, who's that? That's everybody. None is greater than, than John. Not Tom Brady. Not, not Moses or Elijah. No, John the Baptist. He's the greatest. And if Jesus says that about somebody, I'm going to want to know, well, what would that person do? Well, what was John known for? For bearing witness to the light. John called people to repentance and put their faith ultimately in Christ. And if Jesus says, well, that, that's him, John, that's the guy, that's the greatest person. If Jesus says that, well, I guess that better be what we're doing as Christians as well. And you'll find if you look through Scripture, that's exactly what Scripture calls you to do. Turn to 2 Corinthians 
chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. This is a familiar passage, but I'm turning there because you can see that this passage takes us very quickly from who we are to what we're supposed to do. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. Look it up, pick it up in verse 17. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone, therefore, is in Christ, he is a, a what? A new creation. The old has passed away and, and the new has come. Now you have a new heart, a new desire to follow Christ. Well, what are you supposed to do? Verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave to us the ministry. Here's our task, our job, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. He didn't count the trespasses against them, and he entrusted to who? To us. What? The message. What message? Of reconciliation. Look at verse 20. Here's our job. Therefore, we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. We are God's representative. God is making his appeal through us. So the words coming out of our mouth need to be like the end of verse 20. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Above all else, this needs to define us as Christians. It's hard. I get it. People don't want to talk about it. Don't talk religion. Don't talk politics. That's what they say. And so we toe the line. We don't want to make people uncomfortable, but quite honestly, it's a message they need to hear. I remember recently I was out running in the morning, and this time of year it's dark in the morning. It's dark out, and I ran past this coyote, and then I keep running, and I see up ahead of me there's this lady walking my way, walking towards the coyote. She's got this little dog with her. I go, well, this isn't going to work out. Well, I guess I, guess I better warn her, but she's across the grass from me. So I start cutting across the grass, running towards her. <laughs> she's freaking out because she's all alone. It's dark, and this strange dude's running across the grass right for her. She doesn't want me there. But I thought, you know, th this is a message she needs to hear because there's danger ahead. Right? Little Fluffy's about to be coyote snack. So I persevered anyways because it was a message she needed to hear. But you know, this is the same attitude we need with witnessing. Think about your non-Christian friends, your non-Christian coworkers. You need to think about them and think, there is danger ahead. They want to cross the threshold of death without Christ? They're going to be in trouble. So you've got to persevere. You've got to muster up that courage, and you've got to speak up for Christ because your message is that important. And that's what makes Christmas such an amazing opportunity because all of a sudden, once a year, the cultural guard just comes down a little bit and it becomes okay to talk about Christ. Remember I was watching, uh, watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And there's this point in the special where, where Charlie Brown gets all frustrated and he says, can't anybody just tell me what Christmas is all about? And good and faithful friend Linus says, well, sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Walks up on stage, spotlight comes on. What does he do? He starts reading from Luke chapter 2. Starts talking about how the angels told the shepherds, I've got good news for you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then Linus looks back at Charlie Brown and says, that, Charlie Brown, that. That's what Christmas is all about. And this thing still plays on TV in our culture in this day and age? Man, what an opportunity we have as Christians. We need to be ready to take advantage of the opportunity that is Christmas. You've got to know your task and then step up 
and start bearing witness to the light and telling others. Because you, like Linus, you know what Christmas is all about. So if you think back to the lesson this weekend, Pastor Mike gave us three ways that we can accomplish our task, three ways that we can live as ambassadors for Christ under his second point of his outline. And what I want to do is I want to go deeper on those same three ways and talk about those three ways where we can live as ambassadors for Christ as Thrive, though, with a focus on Thrive, how we can live that out as married couples. Ambassadors for Christ as married couples. First thing Pastor Mike told us, first way we can live our task as ambassadors for Christ is to live holy lives. Live holy lives. That's what we need to do. We need to be distinct from people around us. That means we need to say no to the things the world says yes to. Maybe you're at the Christmas party, you say no to that drink. Maybe people may not like it. Maybe they stop inviting you. Maybe you need to stop telling that crude joke that your coworkers do. But whatever it takes, be distinct from your culture so that people notice there's something different about you. But as I thought about this further, I thought, what an amazing opportunity we have as a Thrive Group to be distinct in our marriages. Because we live in a culture that's just fundamentally against God's purposes marriage. If we live as God designed husbands and wives to be, do you think the world's going to take notice? In this busy Christmas season where there's so much stress and strife and fighting in marriage, and your non-Christians see you as a husband sacrificially loving your wife, or they see you as a wife submitting respectfully to your husband, you think they're going to notice? You think you're, they're going to say, wow, there's something different about them. I, I need to find out more. Or at family gatherings, maybe you're sitting around the Christmas dinner table, so many relationship issues and bickering and fighting, but yet your marriage works together so harmoniously with the peace and the love that only God can provide. That's going to speak volumes to the outside world. This Christmas, when the demands for your time are so many, make sure you make time to invest in your marriage. Take time to sacrifice for your spouse. Show love to your spouse. Nurture that relationship because this Christmas time, the marriage relationship is one of the most one of the most effective witnessing tools that you have. Second thing Pastor Mike told us, the second way we can accomplish our task living as ambassadors for Christ is to perform extraordinarily kind deeds. You need to use this Christmas season to practically show God's love to others, doing the things that nobody else would think to do. But as I thought about this further, I thought, you know what, the only way we're really able to do this right is if we take the time to get invested and get involved in the lives of others. You drive from home and you just pull into the driveway and shut the garage door. You don't have, you don't have time to say hi to your neighbor. You never have time for that, that real conversation, that, that, that non-work conversation with your coworker at Christ. You're not going to be effective. But if you have those relationships, if you develop those relationships, you're going to know their needs, you're going to know their concerns, and your acts of kindness are going to be that much more effective. And they're going to mean that much more. Because you're going to be able to perform for them the acts of kindness that specifically meet their needs. Maybe you have a neighbor that's just lonely over the holidays and they just need a visit. Spend time with them. Maybe you've got a friend that's lost a spouse you can share an encouraging Bible verse with them. Maybe a verse that they're not even, even open to hearing the rest of the year. You've got a neighbor in a nursing home or a relative that needs a visit this time of year. Or maybe you have a neighbor that just, just likes sweets and you drop off cookies with a little 
invitation to Compass Bible Church. Bribing your neighbor to come to church. It's okay. Using whatever is necessary. But parents, even involve your kids in this. How important is it for them to do these things and visit the neighbors and visit the nursing homes? What a great way for them to practically see Christ's love in action. Involving them and reaching out and showing kindness to others. But you got to be invested. you got to take the time to get involved in others' life to be able to effectively do this. But there's a third way Pastor Mike gave us, and that is to sincerely call people to investigate Christ. Sin- sincerely call people to investigate Christ. And here is where the Christmas season really comes into play. Because you can use the Christmas season as a springboard to call people to Christ. You can use Christmas for Christ. That's right. You can use Christmas for Christ. And what I mean by that is you can take advantage of every aspect of the holiday and turn it back to Christ. As married couples, look at every Christmas tradition you have and ask yourself, how can I turn that back to Christ? Send out a Christmas card this year. I know many of you did. Put a Bible verse on there. Did you put an evangelistic Bible verse on there? Think about this. These cards are going into the homes of your non-Christian friends and your neighbors, and they're going to sit on the fridge. They're going to sit by their fireplace. You've got an opportunity to get a Bible verse into their people's houses that you don't have the rest of the year. You've got to take advantage of that. Decorations. We've got a Christmas banner that hangs over our fireplace. It doesn't just say Merry Christmas. It spells out the word Savior. People come over to the house. Why, why do you have that hanging there? It gives us an opportunity to talk about it. Christmas parties, you're giving gifts to one another, ask, how can I bring Christ into this? Tomorrow, I'm going to a work Christmas party, going over to a co-worker's house. She's cooking for us. She's the chef at El Boy Loco. That's a good thing for her to do. So she wants us in return to bring over an uh, ornament. Bought this perfect, funny ornament. She's going to love it. It's hilarious. That's what I thought she'd like. And then I said, well, hold on a second. Hold on a second here. Am I taking advantage of this opportunity? So I went on to Amazon. I found the most overtly Christ-focused Christmas ornament that I could find. I'm wrapping that thing up tonight, and I'm bringing it over. I might even go home and take that Compass Bible Church card they gave us and punch a hole in it and put a ribbon in it and call it an ornament. Give it to her. Because it's an opportunity I need to be taking advantage of. Here's another one. This weekend, you've got the Christmas Kids Musical. Why don't you go to work tomorrow and invite a coworker to that? Because I guarantee you, there are people that would never on earth think, to go to church. They would never go, but for a Christmas kids musical, they might actually do it. Our task this Christmas season, every Christmas season, is to bear witness to the light. And you got to use the opportunities the season provides to be effective at that. But the key is you got to be thinking rightly. You got to know Jesus better, get excited about him, about doing his will. You've got to know your task better so you can be motivated to bear witness to the light and tell others about him. But you also have to know the message better. You've got to know what he's really calling you to say so that you can more effectively share that message. Point number three on your outline, you need to know the message. Know the message. You need a better understanding of what exactly it is that God's calling you to say. And one of the first things you'll realize is this is a message, quite honestly, that not all the world is willing to hear. 
Turn back, if you're still there, to John chapter 1. We left off in verse 9. Let's pick it up in verse 10. John 1, 10. Still talking about Christ here. It says, He, Christ, was in the world. The world was made through him. He made the whole thing. Yet the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own, his own creation, and his own people did not receive him. Even his own people rejected Christ. You think it's going to be any different today? You want to start talking about Christ? You want to start bringing the Christ back into Christmas? People will reject you. They'll ignore you. They'll think you're weird. They might even get offended. But there are those who believe. Look at verse 12. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is the message we have this Christmas. People are separated from God. They're condemned to eternal death. But if they put their trust in him, and repent of their sins, they have the right to become children of God. This is the message that we should be eager to share this Christmas because it's such a wonderful and such an amazing message. I've got a message to share every Monday at 11 o'clock. I got to go to work over at El Pollo Loco, and I got to give a sales update to the president and his team. But the problem is some weeks, you people, and I blame you, don't eat enough chicken. And so I don't have a good message to share. I got, I got bad news to share. Sales are down. And you know what I found out over time those weeks? People don't like to hear bad news. Surprise, I know. More than that, I don't like to give bad news. I don't want to do it. As Christians, we don't have bad news to share. We've got a message of great news. If anyone repents of their sins and puts their trust in Christ, they have the right to become children of God. That, this message of life to the lost the message of salvation to the hopeless. The more you understand that message, the more excited you should be to share. Are there going to be some that reject the message? Well, sure. But we get thrown off so easily by fear of rejection. I mean, ask yourself, really, what is the worst that could happen? They might think I'm weird. I might have an awkward conversation. And you're going to let that shut you up from doing what God has commanded you to do? You've got the words of life to a dying generation, a message of God's amazing love, that God loved you so much that he sent his son to leave his home in heaven and come down and be born as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem so that he could grow up and die on the cross for my sins and for your sins and so that we could have eternal life. What an amazing gift that is. With all the gift giving going on this holiday, take time to understand and take time to appreciate God's gift, God's message of salvation. And don't let the season go by without sharing it. You know, the English Christmas carol says that there are 12 days of Christmas. But I want you to think differently this year. Not 12 days, 17 days of Christmas. That's right. There's 17 days after today until Christmas. You've got 17 days when people are just a little more open to hearing about Christ. You've got 17 days to step up. You've got 17 days to overcome your fears, and you've got 17 days to make a difference for Christ. 
And if you just think about this rightly, you're going to be a lot more effective. If you know Jesus, if you really know Jesus, who it is that's calling you to live for him, the creator of the world, the eternal God, if you know your task better to step up and bear witness to the light, if you know the message better, and it's not a message of condemnation. No, it's a message of love, and it's a message of joy, and a message of light, and of life, which is everything that we celebrate this time of year. These can be the most profitable 17 days of your year, and I pray that you use them wisely. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, I do thank you so much for the gift of your son and the opportunity this season provides to not only celebrate with joy the gift that we have, but to be diligent about sharing that good news with others. Because you've given us an opportunity this season where society for all of its issues still is a little bit open to hearing about you. So I really just pray for the small group time tonight and then for these next 17 days that we can be effective stewards of this message that you've given us. Give us boldness, give us wisdom, and give us strength to stand up and speak up for you in a society that needs your message. Thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.